Welcome to People's Town Hall's Virtual Town Hall audio series. Our virtual town halls with lawmakers and other community leaders now available in an easy audio-only format for your flexible listening needs. People's Town Hall is only possible because of support from Americans like you, who believe our democracy is stronger when elected leaders take the time to meet with and listen to the people they work for, their constituents. Find out more and lend your support to People's Town Hall at peoplestownhall.org. Thank you. Hi, everyone. This is Nathan with People's Town Hall. We are a nonpartisan nonprofit organization dedicated to the simple idea that our democracy is stronger and better when our elected officials take regular occasion to meet with and listen to the people they work for, which is their constituents. We are joining you for a virtual town hall with Senator Ron Wyden and his constituents in Gillum County, Oregon. Um, we, I am joining you virtually here, but Senator Wyden, I believe, is in the county, and we have folks here who will be asking live video questions of Senator Wyden. We also hope to get to your questions on Facebook Live. If you are a constituent of Senator Wyden's, please share your questions, and we'll hope to get to a few of those later in the program. Senator Wyden, thanks so much for joining us today. Nathan, thank you, and yes, I am in Gillum County. And this, folks, is town hall meeting number 1015. This is part of a pledge that I made to Oregonians. I said that if I had the honor to be chosen as senator, I'd have an open meeting in every county in Oregon every year that I served in the Senate. And the fact is, Gillum County is a long way from Washington, D.C., and they're doing a lot of important things here. Sure, we're gonna talk a lot about wheat and cattle. That's always big in Gillum County. And you know, the reality is for a lot of folks in rural Oregon, Washington DC might as well be Mars for all the kind of real world connection it has to people. And it's my job to bridge that distance, we're going to be talking about some things today that let us do that. And one of the great opportunities in public service, particularly in the Senate, is to build some partnerships. And everybody in rural Oregon is so lucky to have Kay Lynn Lane because nobody brings people together better than Kaylin. She has been on the ground doing incredible work for this community for so long. We were planning to honor her in 2020, but unfortunately that got derailed by the pandemic. So as many of you know, <clears throat> she's the chamber director. She's the go-to person <clears throat> who puts together parades and public parties. <clears throat> she helps the small businesses get grants. She runs a gift shop, takes high school graduation photos, refs basketball games. I went to school on a <clears throat> basketball scholarship. And on top of that, she just adores her family. What a uniquely <clears throat> Gillum County story. Spent much of her life here learning the importance of hard work, the community value of diving in, always helping wherever there was a need. 
She went away for a bit to work in the hospitality industry. But when Kaylin came back, she met her husband when he came to town to work on the wind project. And that's another area where we've been very heavily involved. Wind's a powerful economic driver, as everybody knows, central to the community. And I like to think that if my work on wind had a little bit of a role in bringing Kay, Lynn, and Josh together, that will make me very happy this morning. So uh, I have the privilege today of recognizing a remarkable Gillum County woman for an extraordinary record, community and public service. Kay, Lynn, I know it's been a long time in coming, but I got this flag that was flown over the US Capitol. It's in your honor. And I'm hoping that you all have a few words for us. And I'm gonna give the flag now to the inimitable Kathleen Cathy, who many of you know is our star uh, staffer. She'll get it to you. But Kaylin, thank you so much for the extraordinary work that you're doing, that you continue to do, and particularly for our you know, relationship. I was thinking coming out here, I hear so much about you from Kathleen, and nobody's ever talking about Oregon and politics and the Democrats and the Republicans and this, that. Everybody's just talking about pitching in, and that's what you do. You do it incredibly well. The floor is yours, Kaylin. Again, thank you for all that you do. Uh, Senator Wyden, Kathleen, uh, and you know, members of your team, I cannot thank you enough for this honor to be recognized. I also cannot take credit uh, myself. I work for an incredible board of directors um, who have embraced my vision. Uh, my goals, they have seen the opportunity to make a greater impact throughout this region. And without them uh, standing behind me, as well as key partners, just like you, uh, Senator Wyden, our county commissioners, our city governments, um, our mayors and, and the businesses, none of this would have been possible. And we are so proud to now be the Oregon Frontier Chamber of Commerce, proudly serving Gillum, Sherman, Wheeler counties, the businesses, the community members, and just like you said, bringing people together, uh, focusing on relationships and, and giving back to make a difference. So I'm so humbled. I cannot thank you enough for this honor. I will proudly display that flag. Hey, Lynn, is that one of the family who's right next to you? Because it sure looks like I see a resemblance. <laughs> this is Macy Lantis. She's a junior at Condon High School. She is oh. our intern here at the chamber. She comes in right. every day. She's helping with boots on the ground efforts with direct technical assistance to the businesses. Uh, she goes out, uh, she hands out brochures. She is also our ambassador at the high school to let people know about community engagement opportunities, volunteer opportunities, uh, folks 
can, can work with us here at the chamber, I'll write letters of support. Uh, I'll do whatever I can to just support our youth um, and help them understand the importance of giving back to their community, whether it's here in Condon or Arlington or when they go away to college or start that next phase of their life, uh, helping them understand that they have an opportunity to make a very big difference um, in the communities that they move to. Would, would you like to say something? You're in, you're in training to be like Kaylin. <laughs> um, I would like to say Kaylin is a very unique person. I have worked with her family and they are amazing. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> she, is, she is short on words, but long on helping her community. Thank you both. I hope you'll stay for the program. We're going to have a good discussion. Um, people know about... Um, our involvement uh, in Wind and Gillum and, and Morrow, Shepherd's Flat and Montag, uh, bring investment funds to the community and jobs and source of income for property owners. And uh, there are going to be a lot of projects we're talking about. And I know that uh, your requests for assistance led us to ensuring that local banks could take applications for PPP and that program brought more than two and a half million dollars to small businesses in the county. So that's a little bit of a review of where we've been over the pandemic. I know we're going to talk a lot about wheat and cattle because there's some big issues um, that we're working on uh, now. But uh, Kaylin, again, my guess is you and Kathleen will have some projects that will come out of this morning's um, discussion. And I'm glad you've got one of your young colleagues from the high school to uh, to assist us this morning. All right. Caitlin, did Nathan, you want to ask a question as well? Well, I do. Uh, Senator Wyden, I was sure. at the uh, Oregon State Chamber of Commerce Conference last week. Uh, they talked about the importance of having advocacy groups, uh, really speaking on behalf of our small businesses. And I'm just curious, what are we doing at the federal level to support our small businesses? It seems like some of the bills that are, you know, being put at the table are actually going to hurt our small businesses long-term. And I'm just, I'm just curious, what are we doing to support our small businesses um, in particular in our rural communities? What I'm doing, Kaylin, is kind of putting on some um, kind of filters to make sure that every program that's coming down the road makes sure that small business gets, you know, a fair shake. And Oregon is overwhelmingly a small business state. When you're done counting, you know, Intel, we've got some great things going with domestic semiconductors that I've been helping with and, and Nike and Columbia and the like, you're almost done with the big businesses. We're overwhelmingly a small business state and so, for example, I mentioned the Paycheck Protection Program where you all asked me to get the banks to pitch in. That was because you guys told me the small businesses aren't getting a fair shake. And so as chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, I came right out of the gate with that program, Paycheck Protection Program, PPP. And you might remember the first announcements about their giving out that PPP money. Who did we hear about? A bunch of people like Ruth Chris. 
you know, the big steakhouse, you know, operation, you know, from back east. And I said, this is really out of whack. I got all these small businesses. How are we getting them a fair shake? So I have tried to do that. And you look at what I've been doing with state meat inspection. I think we're going to have Tom Reitman tell us a little bit. I think maybe Tom will tell us about the job of really getting this done because we've been at it for over a decade. But I think we're about to thread the needle. And that's going to be more opportunities for people local to get their products you know, processed and, uh, and the like. So every time there's a bill, I put on kind of a little set of shades or blinders. And I said, what does this mean for the little businesses? Because that's most of Oregon. We want big businesses to get a fair shake. And by the way, the big businesses can do better too because they can have a chance to get some more small business vendors making it possible to get contracts with the big guys. Thank well, you, Senator. Thanks, Kaylin. Great, great, great starting question. Uh, appropriately. Kaylin. Appropriately. Uh, next up, we do have Tom Reitman, who I believe is joining us from an airport. So thanks, Tom, for pulling double duty. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Uh, first of all, I want to uh, thank Senator Wyden and Senator Tester and, and the others who are working on uh, making our pricing more competitive for our cattle that we produce. Now, my issue, uh, mostly we try to market everything we can through Painted Hills Natural Beef. And so they do the marketing for us. However, there's times when they can't use all the cattle that we produce. For example, last year when the packing plants got backed up and due to labor problems with the pandemic, um, or occasionally they have other other issues like a uh, maybe the slaughterhouse has a fire or something that, that shuts them down and that, and that everything gets backed up. So my issue really is more about capacity. And so, for example, this last bunch of cattle that we had that, uh, that Painted Hills didn't uh, take, um, it, we were over a month getting those slaughtered past when they were ready. And that's a lot of corn. That's about a half a ton of corn extra feed, uh, hay or barley, wheat, the, the things that we feed them um, that they didn't need. And... So, and just as an anecdote, about 50 years ago, I was 14 years old, and I went with my father to, to a meeting to talk about getting a major packing plant in the Hermiston area. So, uh, I guess that just points out we've been working on this for a long time. Um, but we become so dependent on these big packers that we we lose competitiveness. And I think just having more capacity in that sector would take care of some of the pricing problems as well. So I, I don't know if there's an answer to that, but I'm sure it's something you've been thinking about. Well, let's kind of make sure folks uh, get the whole story, Tom, because you've been doing such great work and um, we've been at this for over a decade now. And the beef producers in our state 
are harmed, just as you've said, by delay in getting cattle processed. And for vote folks who don't know the story, Tom's being pretty modest. <clears throat> He's a rancher here, Gillum County, uh, had 46 cows uh, delayed four to six weeks, and he lost $8,000 in feed costs per month. And these delays in processing uh, are what could resolve um, the delays. You know, more processing plants will resolve the delays. And at this point, we're uh, in the position to look at the state meat inspection program opening up here in the next few months. My staff's been helping to direct resources for USDA facilities. And I'll just tell you, Tom, you know, a lot of these things, bad pun are chicken and egg. Once people see that there is a real state meat inspection program here, I think people are going to say, hey, from a business standpoint, it makes sense to increase supply because you can then uh, get meat processed in Oregon at the local level. So these kind of uh, efforts really are intertwined. But Tom, I just want to thank you for your patience. You know, Kathleen has been telling me, you know, the ranchers are still pretty skeptical because people have taken them up to the top of the mountain and down came the roller coaster and I get it. But I want you to know, Tom, that we're going to stay with you until we see that day when the state meat inspection program opens here in Oregon. And I think the presence of that will be a real shot in the arm to the cause that you just so properly talked about where we need greater supply. When people see there is a state program for getting um, meat processed, I think that's gonna be a real incentive for people to do the work that will increase supply. Great, uh, great way to kick us off. Where are you flying to, Tom? We're actually in New Orleans. We've been visiting family down here and we got to see our son who flew in from Washington, DC. So uh, we have that, have a Washington, DC connection as well. So, so it's been great. I, I, but, I, un I understand that beignets are really tasty with Oregon beef. So maybe yeah. we'll have to try to figure out how to build that connection. That's right. And, and maybe a little blackberry jam or from Oregon as well. Black, blackberry jam and maybe a nice glass of Oregon wine. There you go. All right, buddy, you fly safe. Is that your spouse with you there? Yeah, this is Katie Cook. Oh, hi, Ron. Hi, Katie. Hey, nice Katie. Hi, great, I've seen you uh, at Condon High School a few times. I'm not, was, I'm was, not there anymore, but yeah. Are, 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 you, are, you, reti are you retired? Um, semi, I'm working for a church, uh, the yeah, United Church of Christ in Hood River as the um, children and youth coordinator. So it's all good. Your, yeah. your, your, your family is always helping, whether it's jobs and cattle or community service. And uh, just thank you for taking taking the time when you're enjoying family to to bring us up to date, not just on uh, 
on the meat uh, issue and state inspection, but what you're doing too, really, really is important for the community. Well, thank well, you for-, yeah, for Nice Scott. to see you, thanks for your good work. Yeah. Bye. Take care, take care folks. Bye. Thanks for the question, Tom. Uh, next up, we have Ann. And go ahead and unmute if you're able to. Ann was with us earlier. She may have. Yep, oh, I'm here. We got her. Go ahead. I'm here, hi. Hello. Hi, Ann. The floor is yours. Is that is that, is that, is yeah. that the wonderful Ann Murray of Murray Drug in beautiful Condon? Hi, hi. I'm actually in Hefner today. I'll be in, oh, you're in Hefner. Hefner. Okay. Thursday. All right. Hi. Right. Thank you for um, coming and having this town hall. Also, thanks for honoring Kaylin. She is totally amazing. We're one of a kind. I'm super grateful. Um, I just kind of wanted to bring you up to date on some things pharmacy wise and COVID wise and a couple other things. Um, do you want me to read my question or do you have it there? No, no, I, please I read your question. No, you go ahead. We don't we don't know what you want to talk about. What, okay. What, what, um, I, what I what I know before you start is that Anne is an incredibly valuable asset to rural Oregon, that all the local pharmacies are under incredible pressure from these PBMs and big insurance companies squeezing them and squeezing them and squeezing them. And I want you to know, Anne, I'm all in on the fight to get point of sale and these things that are gonna help you get a fair shake. The floor yes. is yours. Okay, thank you. Yes, you have been, you have really, you know PBMs better than any legislator I've, I've, I know of. Um, I just wanted to bring to your attention, this month suddenly with no warning, the HRSA, that's um, Health Resources Services Administration said they ran out of money to provide COVID boosters for the uninsured. It was kind of with no warning. Um, of course, we only were we only charge for administration of the vaccines, um, and we'll continue to do the uninsured. But I didn't know if you knew about that. It will affect pharmacies' ability to hire staff to do the uninsured booster shots. It was really with no warning. The top of their website says we are out of funds. We will not be covering any uninsured patients. So, just wanted you to know that. Um, we are pretty busy with um, doing the second. Anne would, you, would you, Anne, Anne, would you like me to comment on that one and then we'll move on to some yeah. other things? Sure. So before I came home for this break and been having all these town meetings and the like, I voted against a totally inadequate you know, COVID bill. And one of the reasons I did vote against it is it did nothing to help pharmacies like yours deal with this problem. I obviously believe we need additional help um, with, uh, with COVID and COVID reimbursement. And I'm working now to overcome the Republican opposition we got back in the Senate, the COVID legislation that reimburses pharmacies for providing treatment and testing and vaccines to the uninsured. Because just as you've said, you know, the pharmacies are already up against it. And you might have to cut back other services, pull out of the uh, COVID-19 vaccination program, you know, unless you 
have this additional you know, help. So I'm gonna keep pushing in the next COVID bill to get the help from pharmacies, not take away money, then I was able to get Congress to set aside for small businesses and rural communities and, and tribes are already struggling with the PBMs and the direct and indirect reimbursement fees. And for those of you that haven't followed all this lingo, you know, and basically is in a situation where long, long, long after sales been conducted, insurance companies can basically come back and say, and you got to send us another big check and you wonder why they're doing it. As far as I can tell, and they just think they ought to make more money and they get it out of you. So I'm going to stop that and stay on it until we do. Yeah, that is definitely true. Well, our the president of our National Community Pharmacists Association is Michelle Belcher from Grants Pass. I know you've been in her store. She recently, and I will send you the letter, um, testified to the FTC DOJ listening forum because if I understand right, the FTC did not want to address, you know, the monopoly of 80% of the PBM of the claims are run with three insurance companies, three. Um, that's pretty much a monopoly to me and they can dictate where people get their prescriptions and that. So if you please just keep on top of that. I know you and, know about and, it. And, and, and there's two lanes. We need to get a fair shake from the Federal Trade Commission on these anti-monopoly practices, and I'll stay with that. And we need to get a fair shake from the center from Medicare and Medicaid services so we can get that point of sale rule so that after you conduct a sale, they're at Murray's you know, drug, the insurance companies can't come back a year and a half later and get more money out of you. Right, we, yeah, we've dispensed the medication and then they wanna take back a percent of their already low reimbursement. So you do, I do know, I really appreciate what you do on that. Um, my other thing I was just gonna to mention to you, I don't know if you know, but Oregon Medicaid is doing a PBM audit of the PBMs that serve Oregon Medicaid program because I think they heard how much some of the other states got back and found out how much spread pricing was going on where they kept the difference between what they paid the pharmacies and what they charged to the insured company. So that's a good sign. That's um, we're gonna they're gonna find out some transparency, and I think Oregon's gonna get some money out of that. Um, also, thank you. Yes, the PPP. We um, the Bank of Eastern Oregon wasn't able to loan until you the same day stepped in with the Treasury Secretary and got the Bank of Eastern Oregon to be able to do that. That was very helpful last year. And then my last issue is kind of a more simple personal one. I asked my staff what they would like me to ask you, and it affects not only them, but me. And that is the crisis of childcare availability in our small towns. Um, it's very hard to, to get the care enough, enough slots for the kids that we need, especially infants. It's my understanding that caregivers often have to have um, either a, the director has to have a master's, but just the caregivers, I believe, have to have a, a degree that makes it very hard and expensive to have infant care. So any kind of grants or anything you can give us, or even for home care, if, if people would do, you know, backup home care for infants, um, it really affects me because I can't staff the pharmacy when my staff can't find a babysitter. So it's simple, but it's very important. <laughs> And, I, and I'll tell you, Ann, uh, Democrats don't usually use this word, but I'm a supply-sider. 
when it comes to childcare. We need more supply. We need incentives. For example, a lot of churches tell me that with a little bit of help, just a little bit of help, they could refurbish a basement. And you know, then if there can be some assistance for hiring a couple of people, they can run a child care program right at the church. And the community likes those kinds of things. And the churches want to step up and help. So I'm all in. We're also looking at tax credits. I'm chairman of the finance committee for doing that work. That'd be great. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. It is, it is, it is, it is hugely important. And if you say you're for free enterprise, and I certainly am, you got to make it possible for people to get to those free enterprise employment opportunities. And right now they're juggling family and childcare and sometimes working long hours and traveling to the job. And childcare is really an essential tool for a lot of families. Thank you, appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ann. Next up we have Jed. Good morning, Senator Wyden. Happy to- Hello, Jed. I serve here at the Port of Arlington, just started a few weeks ago. And there's been a been a good outreach by our community and interest in in housing. We have a thriving workforce because of energy development happening, but we've got a shortage of available housing. And I wondered if you could just address some of the resources, some of the ideas that have proven successful. What what I can tell you, Jed is I've been able in both of the big economic, you know, packages to get some help for housing, low-income housing tax credits called LIHTC. I've been able to get some vouchers for low-income, you know, folks and more shelter beds. I'm working on middle-income tax relief so you can get help for a first home and have a, there's the, LIHTC program for low-income housing tax credits. And I propose MITEC for middle-income housing so that if you have, say, a firefighter or a nurse, they can get some help um, as well. What kind of housing would be most helpful to you now, Jen? Well, in our case, it's, it's largely those construction workers that are maybe here for a limited time period you know, maybe six months to two years, not necessarily looking for a, a long-term family setting, but uh, what that would entail for uh, keeping them in our community, allowing them to, to interact here and not just to hit the highway and be gone. Now, as you, you need developers to sit down with you to work on trying to create more of that kind of housing because those construction workers in rural Oregon are sort of in the middle income bracket. Now, um, one of the things I heard from the builders recently is my e-signature law, which allows you after you sign your name at the top of a document to click through for closing. The developers said, your law really saved us during the pandemic. 
because there weren't people around to notarize documents and lawyers and people delivering stuff and the like. And you saved everybody time and money. So I'm out there working closely with developers. Would you like me to set up a meeting between any developers you might have? And my office and I would come to that and we'd work with you on the opportunities? Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. So we'll have Jacob and Kathleen follow up with you on that. Kathleen is right here. Kathleen, let's see if we can set up a meeting. Any of the people that you have found, Jed, were potentially interested developers. We'll have Kathleen arrange the meeting. And if you'd like, I'll get on the call too. Okay. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Good. Then we can walk through all the tools that might be helpful to them and to Excellent. you. Excellent. Thanks. Good. Good. Thanks for joining us today, Jed. Next up, we have Amanda. All right. Well, good good morning, Senator. It is nice to see you, Amanda Hoey, with the Oregon Wheat Growers League. Great. So as you can guess, I'll, I want to talk a little bit about wheat today, <laughs> a few reference. So start uh, first with appreciation for the work that you have done in collaboration with Senator Merkley to secure funding for wheat research, particularly in our low and intermediate rainfall areas to address some of the most pressing issues that we face. And that includes the resilient dryland farming appropriation, the soil health carbon center funds, and then the newest allocation for the Pacific Northwest herbicide resistance weed project. So paired with uh, the dollars that our producers are directly putting in to tackle these challenges, the combination of those federal funds really supports the most critical research that's being done to address our ongoing long-term sustainability. So then uh, on more to the question for you and, um, and to start that, you know, our producers are really innovative, uh, but we have some tough realities in front of us in terms of the farm economics. Last year, our crop was short by more than 30%. Uh, this year, we have some good wheat stands uh, in the ground, but the ongoing drought leaves some uncertainty for harvest. We have about 50% of the crop rated in good condition uh, or better and 50% in poor or worse. So as we look to sustain our family wheat farms um, with some of these uncertain outcomes, what opportunities are there to protect our farmers, uh, either in upcoming farm bills or in trade enforcement? I know you're active with Ambassador Tai on U.S. trade relationships um, or some of the long-term disaster resources. Well, Senator Merkley and I will continue to try to get help at every possible juncture. And we've got, again, as you know, the big domestic legislation with prescription drugs and my clean energy bill will be focused on trying to make sure that those packages have helped for farmers. And you mentioned drought relief uh, on trade enforcement. Uh, we'll be happy to follow up on any specific kinds of concerns that you have there, but we continue to try to push for more accountability at the World Trade Organization uh, as we know, both with respect to China 
and the Indo-Pacific. We have discussions ongoing. That's one of the reasons why I brought the ambassador uh, to Oregon to listen to uh, people. Uh, we talked about fish. We talked about domestic semiconductors. I talked to her particularly about agriculture because I know that we do a lot of stuff in Oregon. What we do is best is grow things. And um, tell me a little bit about whether some of these changes like the shipping reform bill, which um, I think could unlock some potential for you in moving uh, our wheat around the world, what your people are saying and, and how um, they're reacting to that. Yes, yeah, so I, I would say first, you know, appreciation that you're continuing to push for that accountability, both for China and in the Indo-Pacific region, as those have been two of the primary concerns for wheat in relation to WTO obligations. Uh, so you hit on, on the two main ones that, um, that we see challenges to ensuring the long-term sustainability. So we um, export between 85 and 90 percent of Oregon wheat and uh, the reliability of our system in getting wheat to our markets is incredibly important. Um, we do have the advantages of the Columbia and Snake River system. So well, I know you were asking specifically about the Shipping Reform Act. Um, what is on the mind of, of our wheat producers right now is assurance that uh, some of the systems that we have in place that we're able to sustain those um, to be able to get our wheat to those marketplaces uh, going out through the port of Portland and shipping uh, onto our destinations around the world. Okay, so the shipping, you know, reform act in terms of priorities is useful, but not as valuable as drought relief, which we're, you know, continuing on. Um, WTO and trade enforcement with China and Indo-Pacific and the shipping reform bill is at this point still fairly new. So just keep us um, up on that. But, you know, obviously a lot of our farmers have had difficulty with containers and, and being able to ship overseas. So I'd like to know how that's going to affect your folks as we go. Yes, and, and we have less that's going out via containers. So for the agriculture industry as a whole, I think it um, has a much bigger impact than it does in the less, immediate less term for, for us. Right. Right. But yes, but on the input side, um, you know, that can certainly have an impact, but um, we're doing a lot in bulk. And so it, is, it does have some differences there. Uh, we've got a, a lot of relationships that we do, not just in export, but food aid related as well. So I think as we um, we look at the needs on, on shipping. It, it does have a very large impact for our producers, um, but the container side is a smaller bit of our, our business. I, I was just looking at kind of the three, you know, beef, uh, for example, potatoes and others have had difficulty getting, getting containers and uh, we'll have to see down the road what the container side means for you. So keep, keep us posted. I mean, yep. These shipping shipping conglomerates, as a general you know proposition, you know haven't exactly been particularly interested in having modest sized wheat farmers and modest sized farmers of any particular um, product uh, come first and foremost. It's been mostly their profits, so I think maybe that's part of it too. Okay, 
Thanks. Good. Anything else? You, anything else that you'd like us to know in terms of your priorities? I I believe you know that hit most of it. Uh, the upcoming issues that we'll be facing really are around uh, the the farm bill, and as the Senate Ag Committee begins hearing on those. Uh, that will become you know, a prominent point of, of our conversation, especially as we face some disasters in the last few years, the importance of crop insurance um, as we look at what's happening around the world for uh, global conflict, our international food aid uh, is becoming increasingly of, of importance and one that Oregon Wheat directly contributes into. So that those conversations as we've talked with you about uh, will be top of our priority list as we move forward into the next year. One, one other thing, I think, Amanda, that we ought to follow. I was able to get funds from the bipartisan um, infrastructure law for another response to the drought with our water for conservation and farming provisions to fund the Bureau of Reclamation. That's gonna give us a chance to work with you all to improve water infrastructure, water storage, and again, look at some innovative approaches um, for future droughts. So you all let me know uh, as you continue your work with Bureau of Rec on how we can maximize those funds. Absolutely, and I'll um, look to working with Kathleen, your wonderful staffer as well, to get a little bit more information on it. Um, I do appreciate the team that you have in place there. Great, Great. all right, Thanks. Amanda, good work for wheat. Thanks so much for joining us, Amanda. So we do have a few minutes to get to some questions uh, from the Facebook audience. Uh, thanks for submitting those. Um, feel free to share yours if you haven't already. Uh, so we have a question from Angela who asks, can Senator Wyden address the lack of mental health services, especially in rural communities? I sure, I sure can. And I just got off the phone before I started the meeting with Senator Mike Crapo from Idaho. We're working on a big um, mental health effort to deal with a challenge that was serious before the pandemic and has just mushroomed. And particularly in rural Oregon, we've had a lot of folks who've been isolated and we've had a lot of concerns with respect to even being able to get access to resources. And uh, a young person at Lapine High School, 80% of the referrals basically go unanswered. So we're going to be cracking down on the insurance companies because in a lot of instances, they simply aren't meeting the requirements of insurance law. Then we're working to try to get more people trained in the behavioral sciences for mental health. We've got the Balmer Institute um, working uh, on that. And we've also got uh, some uh, digital services online uh, getting ready to go. And we're trying to help youth programs. But I'll tell you, everything I see about this mental health issue makes this for me 
the cause of a lifetime. My brother was schizophrenic. Uh, he passed and before he did, there were years on end where the Wyden family felt that he was gonna be on the streets and he was gonna hurt himself or somebody else. So this is hugely important. And I also was able in the spring of 2021 to get a billion dollars for uh, mental health folks and law enforcement folks to work together uh, in a combined way to deal with uh, these uh, situations on, uh, on the streets. And that's law today. And if the community is interested, we can have you follow up. It ensures that there'll be extra money through Medicaid available to deal with those mental health issues. And I think uh, we may have Kimberly uh, Lindsay working with some of the folks on uh, these issues, Nathan, and uh, we'll look forward to following up. Terrific. Uh, we have a question from Amanda that I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but Amanda is asking about uh, the potential for a cap on insulin prices. Uh, I'm sure pushing it very, very hard. What we want to do is have a $35 copay cap on what the insurance companies can charge. There are thousands and thousands of Oregonians who depend on insulin as they're dealing with diabetes. Insulin prices have gone up six or seven fold in recent years, and the drug is not six or seven times better. It's the same insulin. And I'm very much committed to getting relief. I also want to have an out-of-pocket cap for seniors. I want to have price gouging penalties. I want to have relief for Ann Murray in the small pharmacies in rural Oregon, because those small pharmacies know more than anyone about a lot of the healthcare needs of older people. Great, well, thanks for the question, Amanda. Uh, we have um, something of a comment um, that I'll share in case you have any thoughts on this. Um, Elaine uh, says, we produced semiconductors 30 years ago. I have two concerns about going there again. Uh, they packed up and moved to Asia as soon as the tax benefits ended. Um, and two, they require one to two million gallons of clean water a day for a small plant. We are in, in an extended drought. Where is this water coming from? Uh, and I paraphrase her question there, but um, concerns about semiconductor production. The, the first point is domestic semiconductors, we basically use in our country from the time we get up in the morning until the time we go to bed. So they're involved in everything, our health, our work, all of the services that we rely on. I think the point with respect to the water challenge is an important one generally. We just heard from our farmers who said there wasn't you know, enough water. So we've got some big decisions to make in terms of trying to adopt practices that allow us to meet the water needs of a variety of uses, be it healthcare, be it work, be it transportation. I'll just tell people that to me, 
if we don't push to have more domestic semiconductor capability, we will lose out economically from a national security standpoint. We will be more dependent on others. And I think that would be a big mistake. It's my job to figure out sensible water policies. And that's what I was just talking to our wheat farmers and our cattle folks about. I don't think we can walk away from the urgency of building back a domestic semiconductor uh, capacity. Great, well, thanks for the uh, question, Elaine. Um, and I think we have one final question. And I, I think, I think Nathan, Elaine's question is a very good one. They're tough choices to make. And I think the juxtaposition of Elaine's question about water for semiconductors and the previous question about water for farmers kind of highlights this. We're gonna to have to find sensible new water policies for the future. We've got some ideas for groundwater and recharging and the like, but this isn't gonna be for the faint hearted. We've got a lot of needs, not enough water right now. Um, Lynn, and we this will be our last uh, question. Uh, thanks everyone for sharing your questions and comments. Uh, is uh, Lynn says, we need to convert all the land we can to grain production for the upcoming food shortage due to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. There is no question that we have to do everything we can, both short-term and long-term, to increase our food production. People have been asking me about various lands being converted and the like. I got a question in the Valley about converting grass seed uh, to uh, land that could go into more direct uh, food production. And we are certainly looking at those issues and welcome ideas. We know that uh, the war in Ukraine, unprovoked war from the, from the Russians, by the way, looks like the Russians are really taking an economic hit this morning. I just saw uh, stories about how they're losing thousands of jobs in Moscow and, uh, and the like. So Putin made a number of very flawed judgments here. He thought that he's going to be able to waltz into Ukraine and they'd all be waving Russian flags. And he's getting hammered land, air, and sea. Lost one of his biggest you know, vessels. I'm sure he thought that was humiliating. And uh, I'm on the intelligence uh, committee, so I'm not going to get into classified matters. And certainly agree with the caller, Nathan, that uh, one of the things we've got to do is increase agricultural production, short and long term. And we've got an effort underway with our staff to do that. Terrific. Uh, well, thanks, everybody, who joined us live uh, for the conversation uh, here. For everybody who watched on Facebook Live, shared your comments and questions. Uh, we appreciate your participation in democracy this morning. Senator Wyden, any final thoughts for folks? Yeah, I think this has been a, a wonderful Gillum County town meeting. And it was kind of highlighted because I see her on the screen by Kaylin, because Kaylin, Kaylin started us off 
after our recognizing the wonderful work that she's been doing, she came right out of the box and said, okay, Ron, what else is being done for small business? We're a small business area. And I talked to everybody through the banks and how we understand that loan programs aren't just for Ruth Chris sized businesses, but for the little business, you know, here in, in Gillum County. And we walked it all the way through, you know, ranchers, you know, that was, you know, Tom, and we had wheat farmers, we're talking about drought, research, and getting a fair shake in trade. Uh, Ann Murray, walking us through some of the challenges for the small pharmacy. And I just wanna say thanks to Gillum County. You did it again, everybody. Not a bad question in the house, not a bad one. And I can tell you, I don't have all the answers, not by a long shot, not by a long shot. What I know is the only way to do this job right is to listen, get input from folks like you on these big issues. As long as I have the honor to represent you in public service, this is the way we're gonna do it. We know we got some big challenges People asked about COVID, everybody's looking at the current rates. We're gonna, we're gonna get through all this because it's the Oregon way. You bring people together. It's what Kaylin does every day at the chamber. And then when she's done with the chamber, she wears all those other multiple hats. Kind of the bionic woman, I don't know how she does it. But Gillum County, big, big thanks. And I'm gonna put today's meeting in a special kind of position of to be continued. We welcome the input. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Senator. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks.